it's it's just hard to describe how incredibly empowering it was for the kids but also we have terrific tremendous teachers and it was fascinating to watch the the change as they I thought they might be a little nervous going into it because you know they didn't know how to use these kits and were they going to be stumbling in front of their students but not at all they just they they were relaxed they were working with students as part of their team we completely smashed the lines between teacher and student there was just there was zero distinction between the two and again i think it's that it's having that open source mindset where you know let's level this playing field and give every single individual every single learner you know agency control and everyone could be an equal participant and let's see what happens and it, it was it was glorious With me on the show today is Charlie Reisinger. He is the IT director for the Penn Manor High School District in Pennsylvania, the author of The Open Schoolhouse, and I'm proud to say someone that I call a friend. Charlie and I have known each other and chatted for a while now. I think it was 2014 when we first when we first uh, talked. And if there's one word that I could use to describe Charlie, without question, it would be passion. I have never known you not to be passionate about open source and technology and the things that you do. And Charlie just, he doesn't talk the talk, he walks the walk. When a Linux user group of mine that I'm a co-organizer of was looking for a place to host our meetings, obviously this was back before COVID, we got in touch with Charlie and you got us authorization to use one of the school libraries in your district. And we met there for two years continuously, regularly, obviously again, before the COVID restrictions hit. And uh, I look forward to when we can go back to doing that. But Charlie, I know you're a busy guy, so thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. It's an absolute uh, pleasure to reconnect with you again. Happy to be here. So I think this interview will be a bit different than others that I've done because you're not simply just a technologist, but you're also an educator. And I, I definitely want to want to dig into what led you down that road of fusing both of those things together. But it would be remiss of me not to get into the obvious backstory questions, as all of my listeners are people that are into technology, and they always want to know the backstory. Do you remember the first computer that you ever used or had any exposure to? Oh, certainly, certainly. It was a Commodore 64, and I think... I suspect that uh, that is uh, probably indicative of many of my uh, age group. Uh, that would have, that would have been our, our potentially our first technology devices. Yeah, I remember it uh, very distinctly. I was um, elementary school, and it was it was funny. It was a bit of a gaming machine at the time, and and I suspect too that's that's been traditionally you know the on ramp for many people in technology. Uh, but there was an application that, and I don't even remember the name of it, but it was something written for Commodore 64. It was a weather application, a weather program that just allowed you to track backyard weather. And I think it had a module or component to it where you could track hurricanes. And I just, as, as, as a kid who was completely enamored by science, especially astronomy and um, earth science, I just distinctly remember playing with that program and you know, learning about uh, relative humidity and wet bulbs and things like that. And just and just discovering that there is a whole different way of, I think, interacting with science than just what I was reading in the textbook. You know, it was more of a, it was much more of a hands-on experience than just simply reading something and maybe doing a calculation. I could physically mm -hmm. press buttons and manipulate things. So, 
that may have that you know it's funny that you asked that question, but thinking back, that may have been you know one of the one of the reasons that I, I went on later to pursue technology. You know, just having those early tactile experiences with something that I could manipulate and get results. When was your first exposure to open source and or Linux? I know my first real exposure to Linux, and this and this may sound like a joke, but quite literally, it was a friend of mine in college who said, I'm sorry, right after college, who said to me, hey, I'm going to be installing Linux on a laptop. Do you want to meet me at a coffee shop and I'll show you what we're doing? And, you know, up until that point, my exposure to Linux specifically was tangential. Okay. Right out of college, I was working at the time in the mid-90s for a local internet service provider. And I knew that some of the other technicians at this ISP were using Linux for, um, you know, various, you know, for everything you would be Linux for, using Linux for in the mid-90s, right? Um, I think it was the mail server at the time, actually. But it was, you know, when, when my friend, his name is Matt, I'd love to give him a shout out. It was the first I ever walked through the process with an installation and, and you know, we did a local coffee shop. And it was, it was incredibly fascinating to me um, that we could install that operating system on such a little device. You know, prior to that, when I was when I was in college, my first exposure really to the concepts around open source were when I first got in, and I'll I'll kind of date this. It would have been in early 1993 when I got a Vax account on our university's computer. And no, it wasn't. I mean, it was VMS. It was not an open source operating system at the time, mm -hmm. but it was. You know, I think that the community around that operating system is really what planted the seed. So that you know, a couple of years later, when my friend said, "Hey, when it, do you want to look at this installation? You know, do you want to hear about this open source operating system?" I think the seeds were were planted, and I was already so used to being on the internet, you know, in the olden days of the net, um, that that to make that leap, it was fascinating that we didn't need to have this huge, heavy, you know, iron machine to run this on; that we could actually run this locally on a laptop. Okay, so to to use a dated reference as well. Um, from from Bill and Ted, a lot of open source people talk about like their whoa moment or their aha moment when they finally kind of catch on and understand all of the possibilities that open up once you really understand open source and how it works and what you can do with it. Was there a moment where you can recall having that specific kind of like, oh my? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well I don't know if it was a moment, but I but I think like many of our experiences, it's it's the accretion of moments. You know, again, early days back in college, it just felt very natural for me to be on a system. And I think anybody who had had an experience with, you know, with early uh, bulletin boards and, you know, and a Vax account at a university or any kind of, of, of early Internet experience, it just felt very natural to have this this worldwide community that was maybe not only sharing code, because at the time I wasn't, you know, and, I, and I've never been a programmer. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just really for, about sharing code. It was about sharing ideas and conversations. And quite frankly, at the time, just sharing music. Right. You know, I could go online and find like minded individuals that would be interested in whatever niche, you know, art, musical artist I was interested in. So I think that that was that was one moment, you know, that was one seed that was planted. And so I would actually. Yeah. OK, so fast forward several years later, it was in the early 2000s that I think it probably really clicked for me. You know, I had experiences along the way when I, you know, when I first joined the school district here, we were using Apache, for example, for you know, for our website, you know, so tools like that, that were, that were open source tools. But I believe it was 2002 or 2003 when I stumbled 
on the, the open source learning management system called Moodle. And that for me, I think that really crystallized everything about open source. You know, we had we had our web stack, you know, that we were that we had some successes on. But when I saw just how far you could push open source tools on the web and use them for really vibrant and rich learning communities, and it was a system that was shared that you have a, you had a system of contributors, you know, from all over the place. Um, you know, Moodle originally got its start in in Australia, um, but as I was getting connected to that community, it's an open source product. It was just like the perfect, I guess for me, it was the perfect marriage of, of education, technology, community, and innovation. So, I th I th yeah, it's, that is an interesting question. I really think that, that that's probably the point that it crystallized for me. And then after that, there was really no turning back. We started to make, you know, I started to make bigger and bigger bets on open source. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, starting with Moodle, then adding WordPress, and and making bigger and bigger infrastructure and platform bets for our students and our teachers here at Penn Manor. So, when did you actually start the sort of transition from just being interested in technology to then also being involved in education? Oh, sure. I don't know that I I don't know that I ever really left education in some ways. You know, out of out of college. Um, you know, I, I had mentioned before I was I was working for a local internet service provider, but also you know I was actually piecing together <laughs> with with several separate jobs at the time. Uh, but one was was working as a technology trainer for teachers. You know that was a, that was a job that I held. So you know, just I think probably the easy answer is I don't know that I've ever really left education. Um, you know, and some of that may have been again. You know, I mentioned I was I was a total science and astronomy nerd. You know, as as a kid. You know, actually, there's. Let me. Maybe I can thread this together. There was. There was another very foundational. In fact, this may have been the most foundational experience, and it wasn't. It was technology, but not open source yet. Let me. Let me back up and describe this a bit. When I was in middle school, I was incredibly fortunate to be taken in as an apprentice at the North Museum Planetarium here in Lancaster uh, County. So, North Museum Planetarium been in here in Lancaster City for for a long time. It's on the campus of Franklin Marshall College. And somehow, some way, through a through a series of amazing events, I was connected to the planetarium director by way of a teacher uh, who 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 knew the individual well. So I found myself in I believe it began in, in sixth grade, and through seventh and eighth grade, I was essentially an apprentice there, and I was helping to build planetarium shows. So you know, at the time, slides and prepping slides and prepping shows, and along the way. You know, I I guess I just built up enough experience that the planetarium director was out, and he said, "Would you like to run the show and introduce the show and talk with the audience?" And here I was, you know, an eighth grade student. You know, you know what are you at the time? You know, you're you're a kid essentially, and I was standing up in front of these adults, you know, twenty, thirty, forty, you know, years my age, introducing a show that I that I put together. So, so again, I spoke about the accretion of, of these ideas. That, that was incredibly powerful because I was, I was given the opportunity, the agency, to contribute to a community, to build something, right? And it didn't matter that I happened to be a 13-year-old kid, right? You know, I was, I was able to, to show some of my expertise, or not expertise at the time, but to build some expertise and then practice it. So, you know, maybe to that question, I think that was another highly foundational, if maybe not the most foundational experience. It was that participation that I was brought into. 
So, so I think then later as I was uncovering more and more and reading and learning and experimenting with open source, not only software, but you know, the philosophy of, of collaboration and participation and agency, I think it just, I don't know that I found it, that it's just maybe I was, I was just so steeped in these ideas for so long that it just felt like a natural fit. It's interesting that you say that because when you were, when you were talking about that, it reminded me of other things that I've heard you talk about, for instance, with the one-to-one -one program with Penn Manor, is that you wanted students to be involved and have agency in their own education, that it wasn't just something that was happening to them. Facts just weren't getting thrown at them and they had to repeat them back, but they actually were an integral part of their own education and working together with teachers. So on that point, to, to bridge over to the one-to-one -one program, what kind of sell was it? Was it a difficult sell with the school district to start that program? Yeah, I can certainly talk a little bit about the genesis. Um, and, and we're kind of jumping around uh, the timeline here, and that's 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 great. Mm -hmm. uh, let me let me fill in a couple gaps because they're important. As many as many of us know, as you know, the the concept of of using Linux in a school district is is often met with. I have no idea what you're talking about. Why would we want to take a chance on this? What is this weird open source stuff? Um, isn't that like spyware? You know, just all of the crazy misconceptions. Because we had, we had both fiscal and, and educational success with open source tools in the early 2000s, you know, the success of Moodle, later we added WordPress as, as a tool, and we just kept adding and adding and adding. Again, the accretion of all those ideas of those successes made it a lot easier for, I think, our community as a whole to, to, to not only accept the concept of, of using open source tools in the desktop for students, um, but, but I guess in many ways, they were familiar with it to embrace it. It was a logical extension because we had so many successes. I don't know that, well, I know that if, if we wouldn't have, have laid the foundation, if we, if we wouldn't have, you know, had such remarkable results, you know, with the software, with the concepts, with the community, you know, for really for a decade, we, we would have certainly been met with resistance, right? It would have been unproven, untested, untried, this wacky idea. We would have been a school that had no support from neighboring districts almost anywhere. So again, I think it, it, was, it was critical for us to be able to build up basically a body of work around open source so that when we proposed it and you know, when I said to our board, when I said to our community, we can do this, we can afford it, and we can give kids really, really powerful learning tools you know, it, it wasn't as as much of a leap as what it would have been 10 years prior. Yeah, because, I mean, one-to-one -one programs have been around, but pretty much all of them that I've ever heard about have always been, of course, the Microsoft lock-in. It's, it's a Windows laptop. They're using, you know, Office, all the, the Microsoft tools. So really to be able to push that, you know, we're going to do this with open source tools was an amazing step. But you weren't, you weren't through. You wanted to push it a little further in that not only were they getting a laptop, but they weren't just a user on the laptop. They had root access. They had the ability to actually get in there and do whatever. Can you speak a little bit about why you felt that was an important component? Well, that's, that's a really good question because it, it connects back to, you know, for me personally, it connected back to my experiences. In my early career as, as a learner, as a student, again, in elementary school, later in middle school, you know, as an apprentice, you know, in college and after, having the ability, having the, the agency, the ability to, to dive into something and tinker with it and experiment, that's just incredibly natural, right? You know, I think that oftentimes we set up in, in school and in trainings, we set up artificial situations 
you know, we create a just-in-case learning type situation. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we create situations where learners, whether they be students or adults, they can't truly get their hands dirty inside either code or a computer or operating system. We essentially create sort of these walls around what you can learn. And again, my experience, you know, I had amazing teachers throughout my experience. I was, I was fortunate to have people, amazing people I could learn from. And in, in every one of those great experiences, I had, again, the ability, you know, to go deep. And I was sort of unrestrained and unrestricted. So it truly was about the student learning and giving them as much command and control over their own learning destinies and their own intuition and curiosity. Right. It happened to be that by, by going the route of giving students root, that was just one methodology to get them to, to that, that place where they can just dig deeper on their own. You know, I think that's an important function of school, too. It's not just simply about making sure that we have well-rounded you know, students as, as, they, as they walk across the, the graduation stage. You know? you know, at commencement, we hope that they learned all the lessons along the way, but along the way... I think it's equally important to to suggest things to kids, to provide opportunities, to to potentially put something in front of them and just open the door a little bit. And then not only open the door, but say, hey, you have permission to go in there and rummage around inside that that computer, that operating system, or, hey, do you see that guitar over there? Why don't you try playing that, right? Or, hey, we offer an, um, an ag mechanics class. You should go learn to weld, why not? Right, you know, that's I think that's equally as important as any curriculum. In fact, I might argue more so. Yeah, when I was in high school, I remember uh, during one of the history classes, we were we were studying World War One, and I remember you know a couple of days later going up to my professor and being like, "Okay, I've, I've got a really dumb question. Obviously, World War One was horrible. How did they get back into another world war just a couple of decades later? Like that makes no sense. These people would have remembered. And instead of just giving me the canned answer, which we were later going to get over the next year, you know, in in the next uh, history class, is he took me over to a bookshelf on in his class, pulled a book down, flipped through to see where it was, handed me the book, and goes, "I think you'll find." And it was like a couple chapters. These couple chapters will will kind of give you an understanding. So it wasn't just a here's a 15 second answer. Don't worry about that. You'll learn it next year. It was. Here's the information if you're actually curious to find out. And of course, that's more information than he was going to be able to give me in the hallway. And for me, I always loved that because it was an open end. It wasn't just, here's the answer, we're done, move on. It was, this is another road that I can go down and learn. So for me, when I first discovered and really got into understanding open source and Linux was, this is a wide open field and there's no gatekeepers here. It's wide open. Whatever happens to catch my eye, I can I can go in and investigate that, which for me is an interesting point because I've noticed that when most people talk about Linux and open source, they focus usually primarily on the openness side. Just, you know, the code's visible. You can see what's going on. There's there's no, you know, doors in the way of you being able to see that, which is unfortunate because that's a great thing. I'm not I'm not discounting that. But I think what's unfortunate is that by focusing solely on that, we miss out on focusing on the empowerment that that openness gives you. It's like we don't take that little extra step, which personally I wish we would because that empowerment then can change lives. Yeah, that's an incredibly important important point. Um, you know, I love technology. I love gadgets. You know, I love the the innovation around technology. But specific to open source principles, there there's really it's an incredible equalizer, right? Where any student, regardless 
of, of his or her background now has equal ability to, to learn, to create, and ultimately to contribute in a meaningful way. You know, we've had students along the way where, you know, maybe they're not terrific at, at, at programming and, and they're not going to be developers, but they, they, they're great writers. And they have, you know, they, they just blossom really when we give them opportunities potentially to create internal documents around things that we're doing in school. Well, those, those are kids that then are developing an interest in potentially being, you know, creating documentation. Mm-hmm. We always need contributions. I mean, talk about an area of open source projects, you know, documentation and help guides. It just doesn't exist, right? You know, that's a meaningful contribution that, that many kids find interesting. But yeah, I think it's, it, it truly is an equalizer. It doesn't matter a, a student's background. There's so many different entry points where they can relatively quickly, once they, once they kind of grok you know, this whole thing, they, they can start making contributions. And that's incredible. I mean, there's, there's just not many <laughs> beyond. Okay, so let's see. So what other things provide students with a super quick way of meaningfully contributing? Okay, so music. No question about that, right? So I would, okay, so I would equate open source to music. But beyond that, like, like really? I mean, what else is out there? It's not, it's not as if our kids can just go out and start performing surgery, right? You know, they wouldn't be qualified for that. I'm kind of I'm being a little funny here, but, you know, as we talk about this, I, you know, I, 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 really open source is just one of those incredibly accessible, and we're talking about software in general, but it doesn't just have to be software, right? You know, the principles, the, 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 the concepts around open source is just all about introducing people to things and, and having them make meaning. It's about participation and having meaningful contributions and lowering the barriers to that. Yeah, that's one of the things I love is it's not just like you can get involved, but you can get involved in any level and degree that you want, have the desire and the willingness to put the effort out. One of the younger people that I know, uh, Simon Quigley, he was in high school and he was very interested in Linux. And he actually is now, uh, I think he may have graduated or if not, he graduates this spring. Um, He's actually now the lead developer of an official Ubuntu derivative um, with Ubuntu. And, you know, he's very skilled, but he also does more than just code. He also is organizing a team of individuals that work together to then put out and make changes and, you know, update, okay, what bugs have been filed? What can we do to fix this? Make sure everything is polished, take feedback. And this is a student who was in high school, which is doing stuff that... 20 years ago, a high school student would have never been able to get that kind of experience. I mean, he has project management skills before he graduated high school that many people don't get until they're in their 30s and 40s. And because of open source, he's been able to learn that early. And now he has that in his toolkit. So when he goes forward with his career, he already had he's so far ahead of where he would have been had he not done that. I love everything about that story. You know, I think that hits upon an important point too. What what we discovered over the years, as especially through our our student apprenticeship program through our student help desk, is you know we've had, you know, I think many stories like that. We've had we've had students that have developed such you know their self esteem has just exploded because they're now in a position where they have mastery over technology, computers, laptops, they're in the position where they know more than staff, sometimes, you know, often me, right? Um, Often teachers, you know, and that's an okay thing because they can walk into a classroom and now they are on level 
with the adults. That's, in, that's, that's insanely powerful, right? Completely disrupts this hierarchy of the adults in the room are the, are the smartest people and they have a bucket of knowledge that uh, they're gonna pour into the heads of their students, right? You know, that's a, that's a power structure that is a traditional classroom power structure. Well, when you have a student and, and she walks in, she's like, yeah, I can, and the class gets into a jam and she walks up to her peers, she's like, yeah, I can fix this for everybody. Oh, and hey, teacher or adult or principal that walks in the room, how about I give you a hand with that as well? What is more powerful to, mm -hmm. to a young student? I mean, that's, it's, in, it's incredibly just amazing. So those are the opportunities that we try to create. And, and again, I think it's not just about the software because, you know, obviously open source is about software, but it's, it's not. It's about the principles and the ideas behind it, you know, that, that honors and venerates, in our case, students and allows them to be full participants in, in their school and their community and their learning. It's interesting in a way because obviously education evolves as, as society evolves. And if you look back previously, a lot of education was very much hands-on. You know, you became an apprentice, you worked under somebody, they taught you the ropes while they were doing it. You did it right there with them. And then we moved into the formal learning model, which is, I think, what you and I grew up under, which is teacher at the front of the class, students at the back, information is projected forward, you accepted it, and you wrote it down and you filled out your test. But there wasn't much way to actually be able to apply any of that. But now, today, with open source getting involved, that's kind of flipping back to the way it used to be, where... The person who's teaching and the person who's learning are right there side by side working to accomplish the same goal. Have you seen where this has changed the way individual teachers are now viewing their role in the classroom? Absolutely. We had a, a, a very incredible experience right before COVID shut us down last March. We held a workshop here uh, that was to, to help our, our teachers to learn how to use Hummingbird Robotics kits. Uh, so Hummingbird Robotics, if, if you're not uh, familiar with them, they're terrific little kits for all kinds of, of basic robotics, but uh, they're run by the BBC Microbit, which is which is a, a terrific learning board for kids. So our intent was to, to develop a, you know, a workshop you know, that, that put our teachers together so they could spend time with us, so they could turn around and then, you know, go with their students, they could go out and, and, and use these kits in their classroom. And it was science, it was high school, there was a number of teachers there. Well, as we were putting this together, thought, well, why aren't we bringing the students into this? Because traditionally, professional development in schools, it, you have this, it's bifurcated, right? You have the teachers over here, right, doing the professional development and they're getting the training. And then you have the students over here that will be the subject, right? Um, so we, so I thought, let's just not do that, right? So we had a a joint workshop. It was it was the first time we ever did this here at Penn Manor recently. We had a joint workshop that brought together our teachers and a number of middle school girls and uh, a couple of our high school student apprentices that were all simultaneously learning, you know, about the Hummingbird uh, robotics kits. It was the best professional development day that I, that I can remember in my 22, 24 years in education, 22 in K-12 and, and two in higher ed. It, it was an incredible day. Um, I, it's, it's just hard to describe how incredibly empowering it was for the kids, but also we have terrific, tremendous teachers. And it was fascinating to watch the, the change as they I thought they might be a little nervous going into it because you know they didn't know how to use these kits and were they going to be stumbling in front of their students, but not at all. They just they they were relaxed. They were working with students as part of their team. 
we completely smashed the lines between teacher and student. There was just, there was zero distinction between the two. And again, I think it's that, it's, it's having that open source mindset where, you know, let's level this playing field and give every single individual, every single learner, you know, agency control and everyone can be an equal participant and let's see what happens. And it, it was, it was glorious. How do you think that evolves going forward with the educational model? Because like, as we said, you know, you and I grew up under kind of the same educational structure and that still very much exists today in the educational landscape of the United States. How do you think that the, the model that the Penn Manor is, is, has been working in and is moving further towards. How do you think that evolves more, not just on a local level, but then how can we help promote that on a national level? Yeah. And it's to do that right now is really tough because what we're seeing in many, many, many schools is that, you know, with COVID right now, because the schedules are so crazy, we're, we're seeing this natural tendency to go back to what's, what's old and familiar Right. And it's those structures that we talked about with, you know, the sage up front, you know, the sage at, at the head you know, of the uh, of the video meeting. Right. That is that is pushing information out to students. And I get it because this is an incredibly stressful time. And it's to to, to shift to, to what we're talking about. It's risky. It takes planning. You know, you need to have thick skin because sometimes things are going to blow up. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to have to to readjust quickly. COVID's not helping right now. And but what's funny about that is it, it almost could be it's it's the time. This is this is a, there is such opportunity in this in this quote unquote crisis right now that that we don't have to do things, you know, the way we we've, we've done them in the past. You know, trying to trying to deliver a traditional curriculum right now is is a Herculean task. It truly is. It it just is. There's technology boundaries there and that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? You know, families are in crisis. It is, it is not easy. I think that the opportunity, though, is we can rethink you know, our, our classrooms are learning to look more project-based. And we don't have to be, you know, tied, you know, by, by and, you know, tied together to our curriculum by an iron chain, right? You know, we don't have to be latched to the curriculum. We can, we can, in, in, we can move beyond that. Um, but I think, you know, to get there, it takes small successes. As, you know, as we started this conversation, it was building with, you know, small wins and just building those wins. And for teachers, for staff, for adults, you know, what we try to do is we say, okay, well, that worked. That was a small win. Now let's, let's iterate. Let's add to that. You know, let's build up those small wins. You can't just jump into anything, you know, 100%, you know, throwing people off the deep end into more of these project-based participatory, participatory learning activities is is tough. Yeah, it almost seems, though, that in a way, COVID is kind of forcing that because with everything being disjointed and everyone not being in the same room and not having the same isolated focused attention, that trying to do the classic, you know, formulaic education is running into massive, massive hurdles. And the open mindset of kind of the community learning together not only seems to be the, an obvious potential answer, but obviously I'm biased. That's the answer I would, that's the direction I would like to go in the first place. But do you think that not in the short term, but in the long term, the successes that schools and other places have had with this kind of slightly more project-based thing will be able to have an effect overall once things start to return a little more to the way they used to be? Yeah, I, I think so. We, we lost... Unfortunately, 
And when I say we, I think education in, in general, we lost a lot of momentum around uh, STEM and in particular computer science, uh, you know, in the past in the past year. Again, as teachers, and, and again, this is, I have so much respect and love for our teachers. I mean, this is, this is a tough job right now. You know, they've been forced to rethink everything they do, you know, from the ground up. And in rethinking lessons, there, there was tremendous loss in our momentum towards computer science and project-based project learning. That being said, I do think there's going to be a resurgence again. You know, I think there's, you know, there's, there's, rays, of, there's rays of hope that there will, there will be some light at the end of the COVID tunnel soon. And, you know, I'm optimistic that, you know, as things improve, especially probably into the fall, I think we are going to see a resurgence. I think, too, everyone's just going to be really happy to be back together face to face with kids in classrooms, <laughs> you know, and and building those relationships. That's another piece that really suffered around this, too. And I should probably explore that for a second. The open source community, you know, what's interesting is that it's about relationships, right? It's about demonstrating, improving what you know. Something that we've lost through COVID in education is the ability is it's I shouldn't say we lost it, but it is so much harder to build those relationships with our students, right? Because we see oftentimes we see them just on a screen or there's a schedule where we only see them, you know, half or less time. Um, and that's another hit, too, because those those relationships are important. You have to be able to be in a situation where you can you can you can help kids understand they can participate. They have permission. They're encouraged to do it. And that's just difficult to do over a screen. So again, I'm optimistic. I think that once things get back to normal, many of these practices, you know, these these innovations will stick. Yeah, and one thing I always hear people talking about um, with the COVID complications that we've had is they're always focused on the students. And obviously, I understand why. But it's the teachers are dealing with stuff that they have never been trained to deal with. I mean, when they went to college to learn how to be an educator, and you know, they've had years and years of experience of in classroom education. All of that goes out the window the moment they have to do it virtually online. So it's not just the students are suffering through this. The, our teachers are struggling just as much to try to find their footing in this in this new way. But thankfully, with kind of the open model, I have hope that even if this does linger on, if we can take those concepts from the open source community of working together, sharing ideas, that teachers that have found techniques or tips that can help kind of bridge that gap of being able to make those connections, they can easily be passed on to every other teacher. And it's a it's a phrase that I come back to, which is no one of us is smart as all of us. And again, if we're able to, as a community, come together and work together and work for better solutions, I think we're always going to end up in a better place in the future. And we just need to keep that train going. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's just so much there's so much power in what humans can do can do together. Um, we're in the middle of a major high school renovation construction project, and you know, as I look at all of the bits and pieces that go into building a new high school, uh, it's it's incredible. I mean, it is truly a testament to human ingenuity. And yeah, I mean, I, so I'm optimistic about that too. I mean, humans are pretty clever, right? You know, I think that again, as we as we get on the other side of this, you know, if there's any bright side. To, to a global pandemic, I think it, it does it does make us more introspective, you know, not only about ourselves, but also about our communities, about our schools and and what they should look like on the other side of this. And, and again, I'm just optimistic about that because those conversations are, are, are happening. You know, it's not just about like, let's get through day to day. It's, you know, what are the long-term impacts here? And 
And again, I think it's it's about, you know, the future is about collaboration and the open source model is all about collaboration. So it's just a natural fit. So to finish this off, let me let me ask you a, a sort of time travel question. If you could go back and talk to yourself 24 years ago before you started your your educational journey as as being an educator, what would be the pieces of advice or the things you would want to emphasize to your younger self? This is maybe a strange answer to that. I, I probably would have gone back and said to myself, make sure you stay uncomfortable. So let me elaborate on that, right? At every point in my, in my career, where I grew the most is when I was super uncomfortable. When I was thrown into a situation or presented with a situation where I had no idea what I was going to do. And I had to make it up as I go along or learn really rapidly. So I think to my younger self and you know, to younger students now, try experiences that, that take you well out of your comfort zone, whatever it may be. You know, um, is it public speaking? That terrifies a lot of people. Do more of it. Right? You know, is it writing? Is it, you know, we talked about welding before, weld. Is it jumping off? Is, you know, I don't know. Is it base jumping? <laughs> Maybe that's a little extreme. Maybe not. But, you know, come up with experiences that, that, get, that, uh, that get you uncomfortable because that's where oftentimes some of the most powerful learning is. That's, that's point one. Uh, point two would be listen to people that have ideas that are different from you. Right. You know, don't don't get yourself into a monoculture. Right. You know, listen very, very closely to those with sometimes very radical ideas. You know, and I'm not talking about the concept of, you know, like, I don't know, just making facts up, for example. But I think maybe a better way to, to position that is or to explain that is people with, with very different perspectives from your own. Right. Because there's also a, there, that's uncomfortable oftentimes, but there's also a lot of growth and learning. And, 20, and 24 years ago, I would probably say, hmm, you know something? You might want to make these stock picks, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, that, that would have been a good one. Right? <laughs> hey, this Google thing is kind of interesting. You might want to pay attention to that. And Amazon, hey, books on the web, that's neat. So. Yeah. You, know, you ought to keep an eye on that guy, Bezos. Oh, yeah. He, and, of uh, and of course, like this Red Hat company, there's probably going to be something to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Charlie, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk today. Uh, as always, I have always enjoyed talking with you. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time today. This was so much fun. Uh, great to be with you. Thank you so much.